John 21. You can remain standing. We'll, we'll go ahead and read the Word of God today and uh, listen to some special music and then get into the lesson. John chapter 21, this is a post-resurrection passage, meaning that this is after the Lord Jesus Christ is resurrected from the grave. This will be the third uh, appearance that he's made uh, to the disciples and is recorded here in John 21. And as you remember, we're going through conversations that Christ has had. And up to this point, we've been dealing with conversations that have been sort of outside the circle uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, either a rich young ruler, the Seraphonician woman that came in last week, which, by the way, that woman, she got my heart. I mean, that girl, just to uh, study that and unpack those verses in which she went through and, of course, what she got from the Lord. Uh, the, uh, the Samaritan woman. Uh, and so this one here is one that I think all of us can identify with. I think we can identify in some level on all of these conversations but how the Lord Jesus Christ deals with Peter here and how he deals with someone that is uh, backslidden uh, and how he works him through to restoration. That, to me, is is fascinating, and it's good news. (laughs) It is absolutely good news for us because I know all of us, if you have been saved any length of time, you understand what the word backsliding means. All of us do it. And uh, and this conversation, I think, is for us today. Uh, Well, let's work through this and then uh, pray. Verse 12, John 21. Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then calleth and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon, uh, to, to Peter, Simon, Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, uh, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, and thou girdest thyself, and walkest whether thou wouldest, but when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whether thou wouldest not. This bake he signifying by with death he should glorify God. And when he had, thus, when he had spoken this, he said unto him, follow me. You pray with me and for me this morning as we talk about this turning conversation, a turning conversation. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at these conversations, look at these uh, exchanges between, uh, Lord, people. And I thank you, Lord, that we've been given this passage for us to ponder and think about this morning. Thank you for hope. Thank you for the opportunity to be restored. Uh, Lord, help us, Lord, never to forget what you've done. Uh, We pray that you would help us to always glorify you. We know that Peter was going to glorify you through his death, uh, how he's going to be taken where he was not wanting to go, 
and he was going to die to glorify you. And, Lord, I pray you would help us to always glorify your name. I pray you would help us, Lord, to recognize the condition that we're in if we're backslidden and uh, and understand how good you have been and be restored by your grace and power. So bless and guide here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. John chapter 21 is where we're at today. I wish I could say this. I wish I could say that I have always been on fire for God for the last 30 years. I mean, every day. I wish I could say every day. I wake up on fire for God. I wish I could say that. <laughs> Maybe you can. I, I, I can't. I, 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 there's times I have failed the Lord. There's times that I have um, sort of been just going through the motions. And um, I, uh, I remember times where you're, the, that flame that burns in your heart just kind of starts to die down. How many have ever been there? My, Okay, we're all there. Okay, so we're all in agreement with the reality of, of the ebbs and flows of your, your, uh, your walk with God. Sometimes we just get cold. Sometimes we get indifferent. And um, I wish we could say all the time that we're on fire, we're ready to go. But there are times when we just don't want to be where we're supposed to be. Uh, there's times where uh, we are just here in body, but we're not here in spirit. Uh, we just, I'm talking about coming to church. Uh, we just we come in church. We say, ah, uh, we 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 have almost a drudgery spirit coming in, and uh, it's a time where all of us we go through it. And especially if you're working with uh, you're you're working against yourself, you're working against the world, and you all know this. You're working against Satan himself. And if you're not having a struggle, you're probably not in a fight. Uh, but we all fight. We all struggle. We all have. The Bible says, endure hardness as a good soldier. Uh, and so there is a war, uh, and we get weary. Any military man knows you just get tired. Uh, you get weary, and uh, you just uh, you get hungry. Um, you, get, uh, you just get um, numb, so to speak. And I think in the war of spiritual warfare, it is exhausting. And uh, I think there's times that uh, we look back and say, wow, sweet times that we had. We were just talking, Tim, uh, about the revival of uh, Lester Roloff coming into Finley, Ohio, just hearing that description of what it must have been like to have the presence of God in that particular service just, just ignited a fire under me, Tim, just thinking about what it must have been like. And some of you remember years ago, perhaps, being in a service, maybe it's here, uh, that, boy, the Lord just touched your heart, worked in a great way. You remember how it was just to have that that real intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you depended on him, and you had such a closeness to him, and you remember what it used to be. You remember how on fire you were for God, and maybe you're not as hot as you used to be. Maybe you're not as burning for him as you used to be, and your attendance to the things of God has become almost duty rather than delight. And I think our text of faith... The Lord Jesus Christ comes face to face with Peter, uh, and um, he deals with him in a very special way. I don't know about you, but I look at this, and I'm like, I can identify with Peter. I can identify with what, where he's at. It was not but a few days before this that Peter massively failed the Lord. And, uh, and you remember what happened here and how he brings him from that collapse of his faith, or at least that challenging of his faith, uh, to where we find him in the book of Acts is remarkable. 
a remarkable turnaround. So, again, if this is uh, something that um, if you can identify with, I think all of us, based on how many hands raised. Now, if you've never been backslid, man, that's a, I had a deacon tell me one time in another church. He said to me, he said, hey, pastor, uh, I got a question. And I said, what is that? And he says, can you go a day without sinning? Uh, I said, well, I know he asked, can you go a minute without sinning? I said, I don't think so. I mean, I never thought of it. Well, he says, just say you can. I said, okay. I said, then if you can go a minute without sinning, you can go 10 minutes. I said, okay. And if you go 10 minutes, you can go 30 minutes. And 30 minutes, he goes on to a, a day. He says, so if you go a whole day without sinning, that means you can probably go two days. All right? He says, I'm on day 30. I said, okay. <laughs> Let me bow down and kiss your feet, bro. All right? Okay. For the rest of us, okay, we understand the reality of, of backsliding and, and getting cold. And it's not an issue of how long I can go without sinning. It's the fact that we're sinners. We're trapped in this sin-cursed body and we have an enemy, Satan, in the world that is against everything that we believe about God. And so there's a purpose for this conversation. I would say this. We have to go into this conversation understanding a little bit of the backstory of how we even get Peter here. You remember, Peter is going to deny the Lord Jesus Christ three times. I'm not going to also uh, unpack all of that. But there is a prediction of what was going to come. And I mentioned some of this on Wednesday night, and I don't want to rehash the whole Wednesday night lesson. I don't have time to do that. Uh, We didn't live stream it, but it really spoke to my heart about the insightful spiritual warfare that we get out of this passage. Look in Luke 22 quickly. Keep your finger there in John. Go to Luke's gospel, Luke 22. Just hang a left there. Go to Luke 22, verse 31. This is before the crucifixion. All right, this is before the burial, this is before the arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, you find here that there is a warning of the failure. I'll say it again. There is a warning of Peter's failure. And, and I would say this, that there are some things that you and I do not know that we need to know. And if you don't know, what you don't know is bad for you. Are you all here? You need to know some things. And so... This passage here is going to give Peter a backhand story, a backdoor, if you would, view of what's coming. And whatever he does with this is between Peter and God. But I'm saying this, Peter got a warning. Look at verse number 31. And the Lord said, watch the two words here, Simon, Simon. Now, if he just said Simon, that's one thing, but he says it twice. Okay, so it's like you trying to get the attention of one of your kids. Okay, and you say their name one time. And you say their name twice. And then you say their name three times and five times, whatever. Okay, what are you trying to do? You're trying to arrest their attention. Simon, Simon, listen to me. That's what he's saying. I want you to listen. Watch, it says in verse number 31. Behold, if I could stop right there and look at that word, uh, there's something you need to look at. Watch what I'm about to say. Behold, Satan hath desired to what? Have. Okay, that's possession. Have you that he may sift you as wheat. And so he's giving him a warning. Uh, Peter, you don't know this. I do. And I know that Satan has a desire 
to have you, and the purpose of having you is you're going to go through something that you've never gone through before. It's a sifting process. He is going to try to prove that there's nothing of value in your life, spiritual value. Just as Job uh, was being attacked through even the permission of God given to Satan to inflict pain, misery on Job, his children, his wife, his fortunes gone under a satanic attack against him. Why? Because there was a motive that Satan believes that Job's only serving you for this. But you take all that away, he'll, he don't serve you for nothing. You blessed everything that he has, so if you take all that away, he'll curse you to your face. So I'm saying this morning that if you look at this conversation here, he's saying, I've got some information you need to know about. Satan is asking permission to have you. He's, he's desiring to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And so, ladies and gentlemen, as you look at this, there is a warning of his failure. There is a warning of, a, of an attack that he couldn't see. Now, again, there are things that happen in our world that we can see. We can see things that uh, are visible to our eyesight. But then there are things that we cannot see. We see the evidences of those things that we cannot see in the physical world. But the spiritual world that we are around is invisible to our eyes. The evidences and the, the effects of that world are seen in the physical world, but largely we can't see the spiritual world. So if we had spiritual eyesight, we would understand outside of these walls or maybe even inside the building, there's warfare right now going on that we prayed for, that God would give us victory, that the word of God would go forth, that people's hearts would be touched and that he would stay or, or, or rebuke the strong man or tie the hands of the strong man and rebuke Satan so the word of God can go forth. That's, that's been prayed for already this morning. It's being prayed for right now. As I'm preaching to you, there are men that are praying for that very thing. Why? Because there are things we cannot see that are trying to affect the things that we can see and affect our lives. So watch this. He's, he's saying, Satan, you can't see him. But he's having, he's got a desire to have you. He's wanting to destroy you. He's wanting to sift you as wheat. And he calls his name twice for uh, the purpose of getting his attention. Now, I look at this, and this particular verse serves, in my opinion, as a great insightful resource to spiritual warfare. Your captain, the captain of our host, the captain of hosts, the Lord Jesus Christ, can give you what you don't know about. Now think about this. In Ephesians chapter 6, we find the, the evidence of spiritual warfare where it says, we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. So our conflict that we have is not with things we can see. It's not flesh and blood. But against principalities, against Powers against spiritual wickedness in high places, against, uh, 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 and I, I, I misquoted that verse, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down a mat. This is a different passage. Ephesians 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, against principalities, against spiritual wickedness in high places, against spiritual wickedness in high places, and rulers of the darkness of this world. I had it the first hour, but it's out this hour. For... 
Four different ranks, okay? Spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers of the darkness of this world, powers and principalities. These are the things that are against us. This is spiritual things that are against us. In addition to those, we got the world that is against our faith. Our flesh is against our own faith. Our own faith. Now watch this. We know, according to the Bible, that we are in war. And it says in Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against. Now listen to this word here. The wiles, W-I-L-E-S. It's an old English word. I'm going to unpack it a little bit. The wiles of the devil. Now, what is that? A wile, a, 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 what is that? It is a strategy. It is a plan. It, it, is a, it is a way to, if you would, plan an attack against something. Uh, we would, in military, we would have uh, TOC. We would meet with the TOC, and it's a tactical operations center. And in that tactical operations center, the lieutenants and the captains and the butter bars and all those would get together, and they would, they would plan, okay, here's what is coming, and this is how we need to defend ourselves, and this is how we need to, uh, company C needs to go over here, and company A needs to go here. We need to have the scouts out there forward observing. Uh, and so what are they doing? They're planning. They're moving. They're trying to get everything organized. Why? Because we're in war. Now, what Satan does, the Bible says, he has wiles or schemes or plans against us. And he says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand. And it goes on to say, stand against these wiles of the devil. Now, I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the Bible says, lest Satan should get advantage of us. We are not ignorant of his devices. So you all with me this morning. We have an enemy that wants to fight, destroy He's cruel. He's a murderer. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. Uh, he, has, he has has no pity, uh, and on your family, on your love, on your emotions, he doesn't say, "Oh, I'm so sorry for you. I'm so sorry I made you cry." He has no pity on the pain that he inflicts on anyone, and and we've seen that. We've seen the misery that people go through, and the misery of their lives, and the heartache that comes. And you'll find as God's people. That we have an arch enemy that is against us. So watch. Simon. Simon. Something's coming. I, I'm, I'm giving you a warning. Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. In other words, you need to listen. You don't know. And I know something you do not know. And you need to know what I know. In other words, you need to listen to this. Now, here's the potential failure that's going to come in verse number 32. But I have prayed for thee. Can I stop there and say this? The Lord Jesus Christ has a great desire that you and I succeed for him. But I I have prayed for thee. Jesus, he knows what's coming. And he's, I'm praying for you, Peter. And it says here that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And verse 33 tells me that it went in one ear and out the other. Because he says in verse number, Peter, verse 33, and he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both in the prison and and to death. I I don't know why you've been bringing this, bringing this up. I mean, I'm, I'm good. (laughs) I mean, you can look at the other disciples and give that, but not, not me. I mean, I'm good. You know, yeah, I got, I got. I got two swords. 
I mean, I've got, I'm ready to go. So don't, you don't need to worry about me. I know you are, but, but uh, you, know, you can direct that to someone else. Are you with me? Can I just say this? Here is a man that has a lot of self-confidence. He is thinking that I'm good. Now, what's going to come is unexplainable. What is going to come to him is so dark. It is so lonely that he is going to be warned of what is coming. And his failure is going to be prophesied of what is coming to him. In fact, you'll find in fact Matthew 26, uh, when they came and arrested the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 26. I'll read it for time's sake, but 56 says this. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. So after the arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, every one of the disciples, everyone forsook him and the word fled. They're running for their lives. Now here's the same Peter, watch this, that says, hey, I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to die with you. I'm going to prison for you. Now he's running. Are you all here? It does say about Peter in verse number 56, verse 58, but Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest palace. So here's Peter, if you would, the brave Peter, following afar off. So now they're leading him away. They've captured him. And Peter, the great preacher, is now following afar off. Now I want to say this. This has all been prophesied by the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes the road that's going to ultimately deny Christ three times in Matthew 26 is a prophecy you'll find, or, or scripture verses 20, uh, 69 down through verse 74, you find that he denies Jesus three times. To finally get the, the people off his back, he starts to curse. In other portions of scripture, the Bible says your, your, your speech bereath thee. We know you're, you're, you talk different. We know you're one of those we, followers of Jesus because you talk different. Okay, I'll talk different. So he starts to curse. Now listen, when you get in a position like this and you're in not only a heart position that's getting cold, now you're in around people that are going to cause you to do and say things that you would not normally say. I remember the first time I took the Lord's name in vain. I was in the back of the bus. It was one of the school buses or something like that. And... uh, you're a Christian, aren't you? No, I don't. Yeah, I, yeah, well, you know, in China, him, hall, or third grader, you know, peer pressure. I remember the first time my mom said, never take the Lord's name in vain. In other words, we just don't say God just to say it or Lord just to say it or Jesus just to say it. And then adding a curse word to that name is to blaspheme that name. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I remember the first time that I took the Lord's name in vain. I remember the Holy Spirit. It was as if I was sick to my stomach. I felt like I just betrayed my best friend. And I asked myself years later, why would I even consider doing that? When you're around the crowd that you're not supposed to be with and being influenced by the crowd that you're not supposed to be with, you'll say anything to that crowd. I'm saying this morning that this is prophesied and it may begin simply in this progression from saying, no, I'm here. I'm I'm not, I'm not going anywhere, Lord, to denying him three times to ultimately cursing 
to making sure that you know that I'm not part of that Jesus crowd. I'm, I'm different than them. I'm like you. I'm with you. I'm, you're my crowd. Okay. How did he get here? Number one, he begins simply to just let things slip. But I'm saying, God's ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't start big. It starts small. Just start missing a service or two. It may just stop praying. It may be just your Bible isn't open as much as it used to be. It may be something that just begins very small, but it all leads to the same place. It all leads to that very, eventually a backslidden condition. So what is, a, what is that word? Backsliding is a biblical word. How do I explain backslide? Well, apostasy is a little different. Apostasy is a deliberate leaving of truth. In other words, it is, I'm going this way. Apostasy or apostate says, I'm going now this way. I don't care about that anymore. That's an apostate, okay? Backsliding is you're going the right direction, okay? You're looking the right direction, but you're moving the wrong direction. You're backsliding. Kyle Dickman sold me a a cow one time. I forget the name of that cow. I'm so glad I forgot the name of that cow. Uh, it, was a, it was a steer. It was a cross between a Holstein and something else. Talk about a stubborn steer. I mean, anything, any kind of pull at all on that, on, on that harness, he would sit back. And you're not moving him. I mean, we had a lot of conversations in that barn with him. Lots. I've, I've ruined suits out there before church trying to get him in the barn. And, uh, I mean, we've had a lot of discussions. I've lost sanctification several times in the barn with him. We got him to D&H meets, and I remember, I remember the day, and I know some of you are watching, oh, it's so mean. Oh, as soon as we get him off there, we just kind of walk him through there, and I've seen him go around the corner, and, uh, and he comes back around this old concrete corner, and he comes and he faces me, and I'm like, Goodbye. <laughs> You're going to taste really good. Bon voyage, Bo. And I just remember the stubbornness of that cow or that steer. Just you couldn't move him anywhere. And I'm saying as a believer, as God's people, a backslider is pushing the wrong way, facing the right way, but pushing the wrong way. That's backsliding. It's a biblical word. And you find here Peter in that condition. And uh, the pastor, of course, uh, is, uh, is uh, subjected to backsliding. Churches can backslide. People can backslide. Teenagers can backslide. All of us are subjected to this. And so that's why this conversation takes place. And so, ladies and gentlemen, be very careful that you understand that you and I, all of us, are subjected to this kind of stuff. And, and, and here's what they do to a, pe- a preacher like us, to me, and others. Say, Wait, why are you always so suspicious? You, you always have that warning. If you do this, everything's going to fall apart in your life. Well, yeah, because it could. Amen. And I'm saying to this morning, ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. If there is sin in the world, right, do you think that it's wise for us just to be careful? I mean... If there is sin and there is good in the world, God being good, Satan being the father of lies and sin, wherever that line collides, okay, wherever that line is, don't you think that we ought to know a little bit about where that line is? 
Should, should we have a little? And if there's sin in the world, is there deception in the world? And if there's deception in the world, can I be deceived? Yes. And so the one that says, I'm just blinding my eyes. I'm just going to go and just let it all kind of, well, let the chips fall where they may. It doesn't work that way. You just can't turn around and come back without, unfortunately, having consequences. And here's Peter in a very dangerous position. And being with the wrong place is a very dangerous place to be. Ask Lot. Ask Lot. Who's Lot? Lot. Remember Lot in in the book of Genesis? Hey, girls, got an idea. You know, we're going to be going to a new city. It's called Sodom and Gomorrah. But, Daddy, I heard there's really bad people there. Oh, look, just first, look. <laughs> look at the well-watered plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're going to go down there. We're going to live there, girls. Hey, what do you think of this? Oh, I'm fine, honey, whatever you want to do. I just, it's a little different than we used to. That's okay. We're going to be good. You asked Lot. When he left Sodom and Gomorrah, losing his wife, having committing incest with both of his daughters, being drunk. If you ask Lot, say, Lot, where did it go wrong? I'd tell you where he'd say, I pitched my tent toward Sodom. If I could just go back there, if I could just stop right there, reverse my life, stop right there, and never go into that city, I'd have been okay. Ask David. Now, David lost Watch this. He lost his kingdom for a little while against Absalom. He lost his trusted advisor, Ahithophel, who is the grandfather of Bathsheba, the woman he committed adultery with, had her husband murdered on the battlefield. If you would ask David, David, if you could go back and do it all over again, what would you do different? I would have gone out to battle with the kings. I, 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 I should not have been there. Looking at a woman bathing herself, that's where it all began. Can I just say this? Wherever that is, I'm saying there is a place, there is a, uh, a direction that can ultimately destroy your life. And here's Peter. Dangerous, dangerous place. I've had conversations with mothers and dads and teenagers years later. Here's what we pastors do. We get... The thirty-year, the the thirty-year um, uh, after effects of of decisions made in their youth. Here's here's what they do: they take their whole life in in the office, and they it's a pile of yarn, mess, plop it on the desk. Say, Pastor, fix it. Okay. I I, I don't know what happened. Well, let's go back. And they'll usually find that one time, that one moment. You know what? It started right here. It started with this person. It started with this decision. And I'm saying here to Peter, Peter, you knew. He tried to get your attention. Simon, Simon, listen to me. So the pain of this particular failure is... Is undescribable because you find in Luke 22, verse 62, that he went out and wept bitterly. Now, listen, this is a good thing. It's a good thing for him to understand what he's done. That's contrition. I understand that. Contrite heart. It's good. 
It would be a bad thing if he stayed right there, just wept the rest of his life. I just, I just failed the Lord. I can't, for the rest of his life, just weeping bitterly for what he's done. There's one thing, listen, to ask, if you would, that question, why did I do this? Why did I do this? Now, how are you going to get this fixed as we're going that, back to that whole concept that we've been talking, Bruce and I have been talking about? So here's Peter, miserable. Here's Peter in a miserable condition. He has wronged the Lord. He has violated something very precious and sacred. He's a miserable man. Miserable. And I would say this, the wonderful peace that you have right now could be gone tomorrow. Yeah. The wonderful joy that you have right now and the joy that you have with the Lord working in your life, sin is a robber. Sin robs you of your joy. It destroys your innocence. It destroys your effectiveness. It destroys your peace, your plans, everything. It just, it robs you. And it has the ability to make you very, very miserable. Some of the most miserable people in the world are backslidden Christians. And listen, you have and I have the freedom to do what we want. You don't have the freedom to make the choices that come with the consequences. You can, but you can make the choices to do anything you want. But you find here that this is unfortunately the reality. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. It's a hard way to live. It's miserable, man. Miserable. I was just talking to one lady before church today, talking about backsliding. I go back to my life, and where did it start? How could I spend the better part of my teenage years going into my early 20s, going into the military, and do what I've done? I mean, we had, we had a good guy in the platoon that would come in and say, hey, guys, I'm going to the church. And we, I, I, I was part of cursing him out. How could I do that? You can do all kinds of things when you are not right with God. You can say all kinds of things when you're not right with God. But you will not be happy. Misery is part of the consequences of being backslidden. It's a price. And you need to know that when you decide to walk a different way than the Lord intends, your decision carries with it a very high price tag. A price tag that you do not understand the amount that's going to cost you. There will be a loss of peace, a loss of joy, a loss of fellowship, a loss of blessings, a loss of rewards. And as I noted, sin is a cruel taskmaster. It'll beat you silly. It'll destroy your life. And so Peter has to have a conversation. Because between the prophecy of Peter's failure and the conversation in the book of John, chapter 21, Peter's miserable. In fact, he's going back to the old life. He's going back to what he used to do. In John 21, you find that he says, I go fishing. You know what Peter's saying? I'm done. Here's what he would, and I would say, you know, let's be illogical. Hey, Jesus is dead. I got to support my family somehow. I'm going fishing. Which is interesting because that would be a violation of his promise to God when God called him to be a fisher of men. According to Mark 4, verse 19. 
or Matthew 4.19, where he says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So you don't have to go fishing anymore. I'm going to, you're going to do something different. And he did. Now he's going back to being fishers of fish. Are you all here? Can you see the big picture here? He's going back to the old life. And always the decisions are, that are made in bad condition are usually fleshly. I'm looking out for me. I've got to do what's good for me. And they're not bathing it in scripture. They're not bathing it in any prayer. They're just doing what is natural. And it becomes a vicious cycle downward. And I'm out of time. But I will say this. He is going to take others with him. Others follow him. But there is a wonderful, wonderful meeting here because Jesus comes to him. You know, it's almost a personal visit from Jesus to Peter. Where it's just him and Jesus alone. And it's evidence here. Have you any meat? We've been out here all night. I've heard that before. I've heard. I've heard that voice before. Sun's coming up. Galilee is like glass, probably. Beautiful morning. They've been toiling all night. Nothing. Hey, children, do you have any meat? You have any? You, you catch anything? No. Cast your net on the right side. John, um, I, I could be wrong. And I've been wrong before. It's the Lord. Now, here's Peter. Chumps in the water. Cast himself into the sea. He's doing the Peter swim to the shore. He's not walking on it. He's swimming. And he gets to Jesus. Watch this. Jesus makes a personal visit to him. There's a conversation. And I want to say this because this is a tender moment. Because Jesus starts to talk to him about the plan that he has for his life. Peter, he says, do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, son of Jonas, do you love me? I do. Feed my sheep. The third time, Peter, do you love me? You know all things, Lord. You know I love you. Then feed my sheep sheep. Okay. Watch this. Peter, when you were young, you went everywhere you wanted to go. You got in your car, you just traveled wherever you wanted to go. They had cars back then. I think it's probably Ford or something like that. (laughs) We know Ford's in the Bible. He says, but when you get older, something's going to happen to you. He says, you're going to You're going to stretch forth your hands and someone else is going to take you and take you where you don't want to go. And then the verse says, signifying by what debt he should glorify God. Last two words, follow me. Now, in the book of Acts, Peter is tearing it up. He's preaching to thousands of people. Thousands of people getting bold of fishermen preaching to thousands of intellectuals. Many priests were becoming obedient to Christ. They're getting saved. History tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. So you take the whole crucifixion of Jesus Christ, if history tells us the truth here, 
they put Peter upside down and crucified him. Not that it was even a worse crucifixion. I'm saying that he was taken to a place that he did not want to go, but he followed Jesus to the very end. And I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, that this is a turning conversation because it is a restoration conversation. All of us get in bad shape. All of us do. All of us get around associations that are contrary to everything we believe. All of us do. All of us say things that we shouldn't say. All of us do. Now, if you're saved, you'll never, be, you'll never be happy and full of joy and peace outside of the will of God. Never. And so here's the message to us, to me, is that that personal one-on-one conversation and how Jesus dealt with him. Peter, I know you, you failed me, but I want to ask you this. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You're going to die for me. Follow me. Wow. And I would say this. Jesus found Peter, and Peter found grace. <laughs>